Blog Talk Radio. Franchise interviews from Easton, Pennsylvania to Sydney, Australia. You're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews. Welcome to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews has been giving an up-close, behind-the-scenes look at franchising and entrepreneurship. Listen to interviews with franchisers, franchisees, franchise authors, franchise experts, and attorneys. And now, welcome your host, Marty McDermott, and Franchise Interviews. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Franchise Interviews, where for over 14 years now, we've been asking the franchisepreneurs one-on-one. I'm your host, Marty McDermott. I'm the president of Franchise Interviews, and we have a great show today. Well, today we're discussing two great books for aspiring entrepreneurs to read this summer. First, we're going to be meeting with franchise expert, author, and consultant Tom Scarta. And Mr. Scarta is going to be talking about his recent book, The Magic of Choosing Uncertainty. And Tom's going to answer questions like what suggestions he would have for aspiring entrepreneurs looking to buy a franchise and also discuss the book. Next, we're going to be meeting with franchise author, franchise speaker, and serial entrepreneur Lonnie Helgerson. And Lonnie has over 35 years experience in franchising. And Lonnie's going to talk about his book, Five Pennies, Ten Rules to Successfully Build a Franchise Mega Brand and Maximize System Profits. And that's coming right up on Franchise Interviews. So stick around because we have a great show. Franchise Teacher. Would you like to know how to franchise your concept or grow your franchise business? Meet the experts at Franchise Teacher. The goal of Franchise Teacher is to teach, coach, consult, and advise. The team of experts at Franchise Teacher will evaluate your business model and present you with a winning business strategy. Franchise Teacher will help you decide whether or not your concept works and if it's franchisable. Franchise Teacher is proud to have over 30 years of experience in franchising as both franchisees and franchisors. Franchise Teacher are developers of over a dozen franchise systems which include brick and mortar as well as home-based concepts of nearly 3,000 combined franchise locations. Whether you need to add more units or get more customers, Franchise Teacher can help. We will teach. Franchise Teacher will help you learn our proven system. Coach. Franchise Teacher will help you provide a game plan to succeed. Consult. Franchise Teacher will make sure you stay on track. And advise. Franchise Teacher will help you learn from our over 30 years of experience in franchising as both franchisees and franchisors. Take advantage of our free no-obligation phone consultation. Simply go to FranchiseTeacher.com or call us at 561-385-3032. That's FranchiseTeacher.com or call us at 561-385-3032. Hi, this is Connie McDermott, Administrative Assistant for Franchise Interviews, LLC, and you're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews. From Easton, Pennsylvania to Sydney, Australia. 
You're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to a very special edition of Franchise Interviews, where for over 14 years now, we've been asking the franchisepreneurs of all one. I'm your host, Marty McDermott. I'm the president of Franchise Interviews, and we have a great show today. Well, today we're going to be discussing two great books for aspiring entrepreneurs to read this summer. First, we're going to be talking about Tom Scarter's book, The Magic of Choosing Uncertainty, and then we're going to go into our interview with Lonnie Helgerson, and Lonnie is going to be speaking about his book, Five Pennies, Ten Rules to Successfully Build a Franchise Mega Brand and maximize profits. And let's go right into our interview with Tom Scarta. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to a very special edition of Franchise Interviews, where for over years we've been asking the entrepreneurs of one one I'm your host, Marty McDermott. I'm the president of Franchise Interviews. And as we were saying earlier, we have a great show today. We're meeting with certified franchise expert, franchise author, and consultant, Tom Scarta. And Tom's going to talk about his most recent book, The Magic of Choosing Uncertainty. Hey, Tom, how you doing? Welcome back to the show. Hey, Marty, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well, Tom. You know, it's, I didn't realize, Tom, the last time we actually had you on the show, it was. It was about seven years ago, and it was funny. I was listening to the show this morning, and at that time, I don't know if you know this, you just started writing the book, uh, yeah. which, which is, is done today. So that's fantastic. Congratulations on all that. Well, thank you. Yeah, it was seven years in the making, which is kind of insane, but that's the way it happens. <laughs> which is great, though. You know that that you put all that time, you know, and effort into into the book. You know, and um, I, I mean, I guess you know this is you know one of my dreams is to one day, of course, you know, write a book. I mean, what did it feel like when it was finally done, Tom? It, it, you can't just just can't yeah. describe it. It's kind of like you know. I guess it's kind of like having a baby or something. It's, sure. It's uh, it, it's it, uh, exuberating, exciting, but yeah. it's a little bit scary too because you really, you know, you're putting yourself out there and you yeah. feel like you, you never feel like it's ready. And, and right. And I I think in my heart of hearts this is probably not totally ready. I'll probably you know I'll do a second edition or something. Right. But, volume two. Um, yeah, volume two is just, uh, but it, it was exhilarating. It's you know. Kind of walking on water it makes me feel like it's just great. Yeah, No, that's fantastic. And you know, when we had you on the show too, you know, this this is our last show for the 2014. And you know, every year we you know we try to put like a lot of thought you know, to have some type of like motivational speaker, someone like yourself. You know, so I'm really happy to have you on the show today. We would like to ask our guest, where are you calling from this morning, Tom? I'm uh, based in Long Island, New York. Okay, fantastic. I would say our guest could probably detect a little New York accent, right? Well, I was going to say Long Island, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, was I was born and raised. I was born in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, right? Was so it Brooklyn? I, yeah, I, get, I can't. I can't shake that accent. <laughs> Most people can't. I know. Well, it's just you know, my family. We got out of Brooklyn, you know, kind of early, you know, but we always went back to it. Most of my family still is in Brooklyn, you know, so I was, I was mentioning every time I talk to you, I feel like I'm talking to or speaking to one of my cousins, you know, so it, it's it's fantastic. It reminds me a lot of being home again, you know. So you you have a great story. I mean, one of the things, you know, I've done 400 of these interviews, and your interview that I did with you seven years ago, it really stood out because it was a great story. Maybe you could talk a little bit, you know, about how you got involved in franchising and what were you doing before that, you know, because I think that's the part of the whole appeal of the story. Yeah, I, and I agree, and thank you for saying that. I, um, You know, like most franchisees, it's 
you know, owning a franchise is a second career. Um, yeah. You know, unless you inherit the franchise, it's very rare that somebody, like, gets out of college and gets a franchise. Right. Um, that's a rarity. So it's usually a second career. And for me, yeah. I was working for the New York City subway system. It was, that was mm-hmm. multi, most of my adult life. I was there for 13 years. I started out as a subway conductor, believe it or not, yeah. opening and closing doors. And if wow. you ever rode in the New York City subway, I'm sure, the person that you couldn't... Yeah, I'm the person you couldn't understand on the internet. <laughs> that's, that's a great way to put it. Right, it's kind of, it's kind of what uh, what we were known for back then. Of course, now they're computerized audio. Right, now, right. But um, so when I worked my way up the line. Uh, you know, went to uh, train dispatcher, and I got into then training and training yeah. conductors and motormen and and different things like that. I had all sorts of cool special assignments. Then I got a job working for the Long Island Railroad running their customer communications department and their print shop, and I was in charge of all communications, written and, and verbal. Um, and, I, and I was doing just fine, but I really, you know, there was something itching. I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I didn't know how. And um, I knew nothing about business. I was a government worker, and I found Franchise, the company I work with, um, and what we do is match people with uh, franchise opportunities based on skills and personality, uh, kind of like the e-harmony of business is what I like to right. call it. Sure. And uh, and I contacted the company Franchise, and they matched me to a smoothie franchise. And um, in 2000, my wife and I decided to buy it and build it, and we had some great locations. Um, and within four and a half years, I was blessed enough to be able to sell it. And uh, I semi-retired at 41 years old. Um, so it was kind of a super success story, kind of the American yeah. dream. And then I, and I like to say, you know, two things on that. One is I don't say that to impress people, mm-hmm. but to impress upon people that, you know, if I could do it and follow the American dream as a mm-hmm. government worker, I mean, anybody sure. can. You just yeah. got to pick the right business for you, and you got to work it. It's not, you know, I worked my butt off. It, it was right. not easy. Right. But it's your it's your thing. You you love it. You wake up, and, and you make it happen every day, and, and that was that was motivating and um, and I, I think that's important to understand is that anybody could do it. And also the second thing I want to say is that money's subjective. So I semi-retired, but I was a government worker. I wasn't making millions right. as a government worker. So right. I was able to, um, you know, easily replace my salary, uh, and, and, it, and it worked out beautifully for my family and I. You were you're very successful in franchising too, Tom. You know, I mean, in, in the time that you were doing it, I mean, what do you attribute that to? Was it was it having that match? You know, I mean, because again, you did go the franchise consultant route, and you know, in, in many cases, you know, they do a very good job as far as like matching you with your personality. Was was that part of the whole success of you doing so well in franchising? You know, it's, it, that's a great question. Of course, people ask me that all the time, and so yes, mm. it is part of it is the match. Yeah. Part of it is the company and the support that you get from the company. Mm. And then that's 50% of it or 49% of it. 51% of it is your attitude toward your yeah. Wow. And, you know, people are like, yeah, you know, I think positive. No, right. you know, it's it's difficult to think positive when you're having a bad day or even a bad month. Yeah. So um, that that's important. You've got to go in with a good attitude. I, I mean, I really... I ended up reading like every self self development self help book out there during those years. Right. It was interesting too. I remember. I mean, it was when you went into this too. 
you know, this is a long time ago, but you did have that. I remember you saying that you had that attitude that, you know, you didn't care if you your location was on a street corner or you happen to end up in, in, in a spectacular location, you know, which is, is really that iconic location, you know, we know as the Jacob Javits Center. Um, you know, but it, it sounded like that that positivity, though, I mean, it brought probably about a lot of a lot of great things for you, I, I suspect. Yeah, and and that's kind of it. it you you got to go in and, you know, shoot for the stars. And, you yeah. know, as they say, if you miss, at least you hit the moon. Um, I I went in there with with faith and courage that, that I can make it happen. And yeah. failure was not an option. And, and right. you know, when, when you do that, that's kind of like what my book talks about is, is when you when you choose that uncertainty and take that chance, magical yeah. things happen and the universe or God or whatever you want to call it sends people your way, sends circumstances your way to positively move you in the direction um, to, to help the world. And, and, you know, buying a franchise is not helping the world, right. but in a way it has a very large ripple effect. And that's one thing that I, I just want to share real quickly, Marty, if you don't mind. What people no. don't understand, you buy a franchise and it's for you and your family, yes. Right. But the average franchise will employ 10 people directly and 10 people indirectly, meaning, you know, the guy wow. that drives the tr- truck, right? So you're, you're creating jobs. You're creating a tax right. base, right? So, so the guy who's working for you now is able to go and, you know, buy something for his family, and, and that money goes to that store owner, and that store owner makes money and is able to go out and buy a car, and then that money goes to, you know, the car manager. So it's like a big ripple effect. Right. And that's why the universe comes to someone's aid, um, because you're, you're doing even so much more than, than you realize when, when you start up a business. That's an interesting stat. I've never, you know, in all the years I've been doing the show, and it, and it does make sense, you know, that one one franchise business owner, you know, uh, impacts was it, 10 people directly and 10 indirectly. And that, that that does, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? I mean, that, um, you know, and, 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 and I suspect a lot of people don't see it that way, you know, is, is that, you know, franchising certainly does create jobs. And it, it's just, it's so important to, to the United States economy, isn't it? Right, right. I mean, if you... Listen to the, um, or if you read up on the International Franchise Association stuff on their website, franchise.org, yeah. there's all sorts of interesting facts, and they say the number is somewhere around 18 million people are employed by a franchise operation somewhere in the United States. That's amazing, isn't it, when you hear that million. number, 18 million. I mean, that's, that, it's, it's been a phenomenal number. They say it's second only to the U.S. military. <laughs> that's incredible, isn't it? It really is, and and it's funny because sometimes I scratch my head because I'll you know once a week I run into somebody who says you know franchising is a scam it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Come on, oh really? Yeah, of course, right. But how could it? How could <laughs> yeah. it have gotten this far? You know, it made this type of impact in the United yeah. States. You know, if it was, if if, right. if it. Was scam, you know, it's just, it's just not possible. What, what always fascinated me about your story is, I, I think it kind of reminded me, I think you and I came from similar backgrounds, you know, where I came from um, a family that was um, very, very conservative. My, my mom wanted me to work for the government or the post office or something that had that, that, that pension, you know. Um, I mean, was that part of, you know, writing the book as well? Because I know that you come from a background where I think your father 
was um, I think it was a police officer, and I think even your wife was was a police officer as well, wasn't she? So you that probably seem to have been surrounded by um, that, that conservatism, you know, not really taking a chance. And you know, was that was that part of the whole thing of writing the book as well? I mean, the title was great um, as well, "The Magic of Choosing Uncertainty." Um, was that part of the whole thing? It it really was because it took me, you know, years to kind of unsaddle myself with the at least attitude is what I call it. Right. right. Um, you know, at least I got a job, right? And sure. I, I often tell a story like when I'm, a lot of times I, you know, I do a lot of public speaking and I speak at yeah. franchise conventions all over the country for all different companies and stuff. Yeah. And, and I, and I, if, and you probably saw me at one of the ISA shows. We definitely sure. saw each other a few times. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and it's funny because I'm known for wearing these these fancy shirts. Um, and, <laughs> and, and my and my brother, who, who's actually a New York City firefighter, actually yeah. uh, said to me, you know, making fun of, you know, it was actually a holiday dinner a couple of years ago, and he said, "Hey, do they sell do they sell men's clothes where you bought that shirt?" And I was like, "You know what?" That's <laughs> so, so it's not. And so the reason I bring that up, Marty, is that there was one point um, in my transit career where uh, an old-timer who had been with transit for whatever it was, 30 years or something, said to me, hey, you know what, kid, this this is a great job. Yeah. You know, you'll never have a silk shirt, but you'll always have a shirt. Mm. And and I, and I that stuck with me, and I was like, you know what, why can't I have a silk shirt? When right. I look around at, at my bosses who, who I love, you know, I love them at the time, and some of them I still keep in contact with, they weren't kind of living the lifestyle I wanted to live, mm-hmm. and business owners were, and that was right. my my real kind of impetus to get off my butt. But in regard to the book, Marty, I think to to, to I guess explain it is you know I've been helping people for now you know nine and a half years, going on ten yeah. years uh, with franchise, helping them to find businesses. And what I find, and, and you know this from the industry is that majority of people who look at franchising do not buy a franchise. And the number one reason is fear of the unknown. Yeah. So they go, instead of choosing, see, at the end of the process, you know, they're looking at great companies because uh, we vet them, we know who's good, who's not, and, and you can never deny that the companies are not good when you go down the road at looking at them. Right. The choice, the choice is not what franchise to buy. The choice is the choice between uncertainty and unhappiness. That's interesting. And most people go back to the unhappiness, and they because there's a comfort in that, right? There's yeah, well, at least I get a paycheck. At least I know I have a job. At least I can pay my bills. And, right. and I got to tell you, if, you, if you think you're on this earth to pay your bills, you're always going to have a mild kind of um, frustration that goes through right. your life. That's it's very powerful, you know what you said, Tom. You know, it, it's um, it, you know, we we've seen that on the show too. You know, I mean, I've heard numbers like at at, at like one out of a hundred people will, will will say yes to you know going the going the, the franchise alternative, or they'll give some kind of like excuse like you know, well, it's not perfect, you know. And I remember you even saying this, you know, a long time ago is you know, there's not really. That, that always that perfect perfect opportunity you know what i mean i mean there's always i think the analogy you used a long time ago was even when you know you buy a house you know what i mean there's always going to be right. something with that house that you can always 
fix. You know what I mean? So there's never that That's perfect right. opportunity. And I suspect you get that from a lot of people because they're, they're, they're so terrified of going forward. They're like, well, I don't think this is the perfect opportunity for me. I, I, I suspect you probably get that a lot, don't you? It, yeah. yeah, and you're right. I think it was um, in, in Joe Matthews' great book, uh, Street Smart Franchising, yeah. Yeah. he talks about that. Um, one out of every hundred people that look at franchising actually buy a franchise, and and that the, the thing for me, Marty, is it makes me it makes me sad inside because I mm-hmm. talk to these folks yeah. that have great backgrounds, they're phenomenal at what they do, right. and they can easily translate their skills into their own business and really right. live happily ever after, and they don't, and and it's yeah. it's always because of fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. I use a powerful word, um, Tom. You know, you used happy. You know, and, and I think it's interesting that how many people there are out there that are you know working day to day, and they're just you know, as you said, they're paying their bills. You know, but they're they're not happy, are they? You know, and, and I know a lot of those people who are working for, let's say, the city, and um, you know, they're they're going to get their pension at some point, but they just aren't happy. And I can't imagine working forty years. And not being happy, and you wonder, uh, you know, it, it's really that powerful, and that's why I think your book is so important. You know, the magic of choosing uncertainty is is, is that you know, you lived it, haven't you? I mean, um, yeah. you know, I'm sure you know, you, you know, you you've been through all of those things that that a lot of your um, clients um, mm-hmm. certainly have gone through their head, don't they? Yeah, I've I, yeah, I've been in their shoes. And and that's why I, I kind of enjoy what not kind of I love what I do because I'm yeah. really able to speak to people on on a you know a one to one basis that you know I've, right. I I and not only have empathy I, I've been there I've done it and and you know maybe it's not for everybody and that's fine I, I get right. that not everybody should buy a franchise believe me right but um you know but when you're when you're there and you're on the cusp and you know it's the eleventh hour and you have to make a decision and and you run away from it it's it's really really sad and from you know from my perspective it is and i think from their perspective i just read an article uh last week that said 80 86% of americans want to change their job today wow that's incredible and i think it was 86% 80, 86% of americans want to change their job today and probably maybe 1% will um you know, get out of the corporate rat race. A lot of people will change jobs and right. they're going from, you know, one fire to another mm-hmm. fire and they really exactly. don't solve anything. But I'll, I'll tell you that, um, you know, a, a, a great story that I share with everybody and I think that it will go very very well here. If you can imagine for a second, um, there's these two guys sitting on a porch, like two two old hillbillies, right? And they're, and yeah. they're drinking their... They're drinking their sarsaparilla and they're rocking in their rocking chairs. And one of them, one of them has a hound dog, and the hound dog's sitting on the floor. And every once in a while, that hound dog lets out a yelp. Yeah. So, so one of these guys, one one guy says to the other guy with the dog, hey, "What's wrong with your dog?" And he said, oh, "Nothing's wrong with the dog." So he said, "Well, why does he yelp like that?" Yeah. And he said, "Oh, he's laying on a nail." And uh, he said, "Well, why doesn't he get off the nail?" And he said, "Well, I guess it just doesn't hurt bad enough." Wow, that's a great that's a great analogy. We're gonna to have to use it. We have this great quotes in franchising podcast. We're gonna to have to put that one in there. I haven't heard you tell that story, but I I think that's um, I mean I mean that's a great one. I mean it does show you know how how we're willing to live our lives like that, isn't it? 
it is. It's, it it frustrates the heck out of me. And um, you know, in in the book, I give people uh, what I call fuel for change, which are different exercises at the end of a couple of different chapters where you can go through changing your mindset about things. Yeah. And, and you realize after a while, all your stuff, all your baggage in that fear department right. essentially comes from your parents and, yeah. and from yeah. your upbringing telling you, you know, no, 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 right. don't do that, be careful. And if you, would, if you lose, you're a loser. And yeah. And that's not the case at all because when you take a chance and if it doesn't work out for some reason, there's more life yeah. lessons in that failure than there is in any success. And, and I can tell you that directly from my smoothie experience. Sure. It's, you know, there's so much more to learn when you're trying to climb out of a hill, out of a hole, than standing on top of a hill. Yeah, and it's you know it must be interesting. I, you know I'm I'm one of those people as I mentioned, Tom. You know I mean my mom is still waiting for me to go apply for the post office. You know I said I'm going to be <laughs> 50 years old in three years. You know and I, and I just I just recently you know completed my doctorate degree last year and I think she's still waiting oh, wow. for me to go work. You know for for the post office. You know I mean she just tried to instill that in me as a kid and maybe that was my my reason that I went the other direction. You know I just didn't. It just didn't seem gratifying to me, not to, to, to pick on anyone who works for the post office, but I just didn't, I wouldn't have had that. And I love the word you use. It uses word fuel, you know, and we had, um, we had the great Michael Gerber on our show, and I know you're, you're a fan uh-huh. of his as well, a long time sure. ago. And he used that word once too, you know, is he said, you know, that when, you know, you're doing what you love to do, you have that fuel that makes you, um, you get up early in the morning and you could stay up late at night, you know, and you don't have yeah. that when you're you're doing something you don't love to do, you know. And, and I remember when I was working on, on Madison Avenue, I was working for a particular company, and I hated it. And, you know, Sunday night would come, and I'd be like, oh, my God. I was like, I can't make it through another week. And um, I didn't have that fuel. I felt tired all the time, you know. So once I quit and I, I created my own company, I, I, I had all this fuel, you know, and I just I, I, right. I could stay up all night if I wanted to. And I suspect, you know, you, you had the same experience, didn't you? Yeah, and that's that's a great, great, uh, insightful thing that you shared because it's it, when you make that kind of change, all that anxiety and fear energy mm. turns into the positive motivation fuel to get you out of bed and and make things happen out there. Yeah, and 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 I also like what you said because I agree. I don't I don't put anybody down for working a job. I mean, it's oh, fine. Yeah. You Absolutely. know, do it. I mean, I've, I loved working for transit. I loved the yeah. subway system. I still do to this day. Yeah. You know, it's way different than it used to be in, in regard to the new technology trains and all that stuff. But, right. I mean, it was in my blood. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And, um, you know, if I would have stayed there, I would have been fine, and, and I would have mm-hmm. been happy. Right. The thing, it was, it, I didn't change because I was unhappy. I changed because I had a, a burning desire to do something more. There was something... More. That was yeah. pushing me to do more, and I, I still to this day I can't pinpoint what it is, but there's something driving me, and I feel that you know the people talk about destiny, and I don't want to get all esoteric here on sure. this view, but it's you know there's something more out there for yeah. people, and uh, and you can work your job and still follow your destiny if it doesn't have to. Your destiny sometimes, most of the time, actually doesn't fall around what you do for a living anyway. That's true. It sounds like you went from being satisfied to 
very satisfied or extremely satisfied. I mean, that was the the change in your life. As you said, you weren't you weren't miserable. You know, mm-hmm. doing what you were doing, you were fine. You know, but <laughs> when when you made that change, oh. it, it, it your your life seems more. You, enjoyable uh you're more happy and i suspect your family is also happy as well well that that's the word um, you just said it i was happy and then i went to being enjoyed yeah and really enjoy what i do and it's a, it's a there's a big difference between happiness and joyfulness oh yeah and uh and so that's you know i'm at the joyfulness stage and yeah and it's it's cool because you're right the family does like it because i'm i'm around i'm i'm you know I have a home office, so that's that's great. But even when I was doing the smoothie thing, I was around. I was able to go to the, right. you know, my kids were younger then, but right, right. Um, I was able to go to the school plays and do do all the uh, different things uh, and be around and and uh, you know put the kids on the school bus and be home when they got off the school bus and stuff like that. It was that was really really an important thing and and for me and and uh, I was able to accomplish that. And I guess that's part of the process too, Tom, you know, is, you know, when you're meeting with a, a prospect who is interested in buying a franchise, I mean, I guess you're trying to get to the core of what they're looking to do. You know, I remember one story you were telling on one particular interview of um, two gentlemen that are working Wall Street and they love golf, you know, so they said, okay, I want to do, I want to have a golf franchise, you know, and you kind of steered them in another direction saying, you know, you can point them to, to that direction, but they're not going to be particularly happy because they're not going to make money, you know, and, 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 and they'd probably end up miserable. So they ended up doing something different, you know, and, and that's part of the process as well, isn't it? It, it really is. It, You've got to be open-minded um, because yeah. they could have gotten into a golf franchise and, and they, they would have made money. Mm-hmm. The thing is they wouldn't have been happy in, in my professional judgment having done right. it for a long time. They would right. not have been happy, and and you know a lot of people on a daily basis call me and they have a specific franchise in mind, <laughs> and and I ask them why that franchise, yeah. and they always come up with one of a couple of different reasons, but you know they say, well I I love that food, it's so great, <laughs> it's such a great product, I'm right? Like, yeah, you know it could be the best thing ever, it could be caviar, but sure. you know if it's if it's you know way above your price range to get into, it doesn't matter. If yeah. you um if it, it calls for you to be there at night and on the weekends and miss your family events, it's not worth it. So you gotta be open minded and understand that the business model, the day to day operation is more important than what you're selling or what you're serving. Because um, that at the end of the day that doesn't matter. I mean obviously you're not gonna sell snow in, in Alaska but Right, it, the, the product and service has to make sense, and you got to really, you know, understand it and all that good stuff. But it doesn't have to be a passion. And that's where people get messed up. They they think that they they mess up passion and they mess they, they confuse passion and uh, hobbies. Yeah, that's um, true. A hobby is not a passion. If your hobby was a passion, you would be a professional, whatever it is. <laughs> so um, absolutely, and, and and so that's that's where people get confused. Um, and and people end up losing a lot of money when that when that happens. Um, I imagine. Or, or you might see things that that are you know. Uh, I was on vacation. I saw this great you know ice cream plate. So I want to do that because there's none where I live. You know? <laughs> right. 
you know, it's true. It's yeah, we've heard a lot of those stories. Yeah, it's it, it, it's it's true. You know, and I mean that's why I mean your job is 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 really so important. Um, you know, Thomas. I mean, what you're doing. You know, you've been doing this a long time. How, how long have you been um, a, a franchise consultant? Has it been like it's about nine or ten years now? Yeah, it'll be uh, ten years in uh, April of 2015. So obviously you love what you do, you know, and I mean your job is, 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 is very important. I mean it must be very gratifying for you, I suspect, to, you know, go to, uh, you know, someone opens up a franchise and you get to go to that franchise years later. You just get to see the success that, that some of those people are having must be very, um, I, I, I imagine must be just nothing but rewarding for you or very gratifying. It, it's unbelievably rewarding. And yeah. a lot of times I hear, you know, I'll go visit somebody or, or just call them to see how things are going. And and they say, inevitably I hear, man, I should have done this 20 years ago. <laughs> wow. That's great. I mean, it is. It's a great job. And I can see why, you know, you, you know, are, are so successful, of course, at, at, at being, you know, doing what you do, you know. And, um, um, and, and again, I, I look forward to, you know, um, going over the book and everything like that. And, and we'll, we'll definitely promote the book on the show. The book is called The Magic of Choosing Uncertainty. How can our listeners uh, get a... Um, Get the book, Tom. Any websites they should go to? Well, yeah, it's it's on Amazon. So okay. that's, you know, easy is on Amazon, it's available on Kindle and all that good stuff. Or you can just go to my website, which is uh my first name Tom at Tomscarta dot com. So it's Tom and my last name Scarta, which is S C A R D as in David A dot com and you can uh click through on there. And it's a great website, by the way, too. I mean, you get to see interviews and things like that, you know, of presentations that you've made in the past, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, definitely worth it, you know. So I would certainly recommend to our listeners that they go to TomScarta.com, you know, to... Are you one of those special people who are willing to go after your dreams and goals? Are you ready to fulfill that dream of owning your own business with the security of a proven brand? The opportunity to take control of your future and own a Rita's Italian Ice franchise is within your reach. Rita's is seeking success-oriented individuals who are ready to make a change in their life, and Rita's offers unparalleled training and support to assure your success. And did you know the frozen treat industry is a recession-proof industry and there are Rita's in 23 states currently with 540 stores open. Rita's Italian Ice has been around for 25 years and is listed as a top-performing franchise by the Wall Street Journal. Now here's the really good part. Rita's Italian Ice is a unique and amazing taste treat. It's smoother than a snow cone and it combines ice with real fresh fruit. The real fruit adds dramatically to the taste and it comes in over 40 flavors. The ice and fruit are mixed on site and made fresh daily and it is delicious. You'll want to know more about this exciting and successful franchise opportunity. Go to www.ownaritas.com and get all your questions answered. That's www.ownaritas.com to take control of your dreams and future today. You don't want to wait any longer to be a part of this adventure. www.ownaritas.com
Hi everyone and welcome back to a very special edition of Franchise Interviews where we've been asking the Franchipreneurs of one one I'm your host Marty McDermott and I'm the President of Franchise Interviews and as we were saying earlier, we have a great show today. We're meeting with franchise author, franchise speaker, and serial franchipreneur Lonnie Helgerson. And Lonnie has over 27 years experience in the franchise industry working with companies such as Super 8 Motels, Identikit, and many more. Hey Lonnie, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Marty. I'm having an awesome day. Oh, that's fantastic, Lonnie. It's great to finally have you on the show. You know, I, you know, I've been following your career for uh, quite a long time now. So uh, Don was a little jealous he couldn't be here today. I was, um, I was telling him a story before the show, Lonnie. I promised my wife over the Memorial Day weekend that I wasn't going to do any work or read any journal articles for, uh, and I got your book, Five Pennies. I think I got it on Friday, and I got to tell you, I. I couldn't put it down. It was a fantastic book. Um, I think you really did a great job at filling a gap um, in a literature review. You know, there's, there's nothing out there that, that's that's like it. I was telling Don about the title. I said Five Pennies. He goes, what's Five Pennies? So you probably get that. It, it's a great story. I thought you could probably tell it a little better than I could. <laughs> yeah, I do get that question quite often <laughs> and where the title came from. And, yeah. and uh, as you know already, having read it, there's an interesting story behind that. I, uh, I serve on the board of advisors at the Institute of Franchise Executives at Nova Southeastern University mm-hmm. with Carolyn Bolton, and she's yeah. uh, director of special projects for Subway restaurants. And Carolyn and I go back quite a ways, and, and you know we, we know each other very well, and our, our our kids are very close in age, so we, we always drift off into a conversation about our children. A few years back uh, already, uh, her and I were talking about our, our kids, and I was uh, telling her how uh, I was trying to teach Chandler, my son, uh, yeah. a number of years before this conversation, actually. He was probably about five or six at the time, and he's now 11, so it's been a while back, and he was. Uh, he wanted. He always hits me up for money, right? Then, you know, he wants <laughs> some money for this or that, right? Right. And uh, I said, okay, here's the deal, son. I said, you clean my office, and I'll pay you to do that. And he said, okay. So he came in. He lugged in the vacuum cleaner, and and uh, he vacuumed a little bit, and got more garbage on the floor than he took out, and this, that, and other thing. And he came over, and he said, okay, he wanted two dollars. I said, well, where's your invoice? And right. He, and he, you know, it's like he gives me that blank stare, like invoice and he could hardly you know say the word at the time and i said here's how you make money i said this right. is i'm going to teach you a business lesson day so i taught him how to make it create an invoice and wrote down two dollars and and i said now you give me the invoice and i gave him his two dollars and i marked paid in full i said you keep that and that's that's how you make money as a business mm-hmm. and uh, she chuckled and she said you know her son uh uh once going was going through the same kind of gyrations and at the time she was Working uh, for uh, for franchise brands, which is is a, a side business uh, that's owned by uh, the founders of, of Subway uh, mm-hmm. that looks for concepts to uh, to purchase. And at any rate, um, he was always hitting her up to buy this chain or that chain. He'd stop and have a bagel and he'd say, "You know, Mom, you guys need to buy this franchise chain because it's such good food." And she's getting to a point where she finally decided to tell him how they evaluate a franchise when they purchase it and it's it's a good story and and i think uh you know she says for every dollar that comes into that bagel shop that would be a hundred pennies right yes right okay so many pennies go to pay for your labor and your your staff so many pennies go to rent 
so many pennies go to insurance, and she, she went through all of them, so many pennies go to buy food for resale. So at the bottom, there's got to be a good, strong amount of pennies for the owner to keep at the end of the day. That's called, that's called net profit. Right. And on top of that, there needs to be five pennies that typically, such the royalty that goes uh, for the franchisor. And she says, we zero in on that profitability, those pennies that go to uh, the franchisee for profitability when we're going to purchase uh, a chain. And I said, you know, I said that's uh, it's interesting thought, Carolyn, because I don't think enough chains are focusing mm-hmm. on those five pennies or those profits these days. And this is pre-recession, right? So right. we're on high-flying times, and, and everybody's growing to beat the band. And whenever you run into people at, at the, through IFA, International Franchise Association mm-hmm. Conferences, et cetera, you know, it's always, how are you doing? Oh, we're, we opened up X amount of stores and we sold this many locations, and it's still that way. And it very, it's not very often I hear somebody say, well, our same store sales grew by 10%. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a big difference there. So uh, right. that's where the term five pennies came from because it's you know, average royalty franchisors. It's interesting. One of the stories that really hit home, Lonnie, was you, you were standing, uh, I guess you were at the uh, International Franchise Association. I think you were at the one in Las Vegas. And, and, and you hear a lot of great conversations, don't you, as you're standing in line? But That's I think you're listening, to, yeah. Yeah, you're listening to a couple other franchisors, and they were talking about, um, I, I guess if they sold, I don't know, I guess it was like, the, it might have been like $20,000 franchise fee. And if they sold 10 of them, I guess they would have got 200000 And it seemed like that was the focus for that particular franchise wasn't it you know it wasn't about profitability or anything like that and you wonder you know if if those guys are actually still in business today you can kind of hypothesize that that whoever they were they're probably not are they no i you know i i don't know if they are or not and i (laughs) but it was crazy because they sounded like two cat burglars it was great and i mean it was really kind of irritating and annoying because i'm listening to this and, and they're talking about this, and, you know, if you've been around in franchise in a while, yeah. you may have heard those kinds of conversations from time to time. And, and I, I wanted to turn around and say, guys, I said, is there, is there anything more to this business than franchise right. fees? And, oh, by the way, um, you know, what are, what are your costs of supporting a franchisee and so on and so on and so on? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I got helped, and they were gone. I never did see them again. But you're absolutely right. I wonder if they still are. Uh, you know, if they learn from that convention, the importance right. of what they're doing. Yeah, and, I don't uh, think those guys knew who they. Well, well it's funny because as I was reading a lot, I said I don't think those guys knew who they were standing next to. They <laughs> 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 had oh. all this experience in franchising. You know, there was the great quote. I, I, I thought it was fantastic how you put it right on the cover of the book from Fred DeLuca, who is someone mm-hmm. you know I, I truly admire. Franchise profitability is the most important mission of the mm-hmm. franchisor, and I think, you know, that just really, you know, hits home, doesn't it? I mean, it's just, it's so powerful. We have uh, great quotes in franchising, and I think we're going to somehow incorporate that in there to our, our, our great quotes, because I think it is, it's very powerful. Um, how about a general overview of the book? I mean, why was was it written, Lonnie? I mean, was it because there was a gap? I mean, there's so many books out there on franchising, you know, I was, was kind of wondering what was going to come out next, and, and I think it was one of the reasons I couldn't put it down, was because I think you really did a great job at filling that gap that wasn't what was said, you know, in all the other books. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, I've been, I've been having a lot of people uh, tell me I should write a book for a long time mm-hmm. and over the years, and, I, you know, I got thinking about it, and I really never felt, you know, that 
who wants to read about my, you know, escapades and so forth. And and I had, had consulted and worked with a number of companies in, in recent years and prior, right up to the recession and during the recession. And and there's some interesting dynamics that change in franchising. Uh, most companies really had to, if they didn't, they should have, focused on their unit economics because at the end of the day, that's what got them through the recession. And it forced many of them to really look at their support, their balance sheets, and, and how they make money. And I had seen a number of companies or, uh, that had done things that I felt weren't probably uh, on the up and up. They had done them wrong, and they really uh, were taking advantage of franchising in a way. And I felt compelled to, to, write, a, to write a book that, uh, as you mentioned, there's a lot of books on starting a franchise, but nobody's right. ever said, here's how you grow one, here's how you right. manage it, and this, these are the tools and, and all the things that you need to do this. And, and I just uh, sat down, and the first story I put down was, was Carolyn's story, and, mm-hmm. and I just went from there. And I had, I had these ten rules that are ten solid areas that, yeah, that you know, of, of any brand that uh, kind of form, formulate the, the, the basis for a franchise system. And uh, you can see more about that in what I call a model of success, franchise mega brand, where in five pennies mega means, means great. Uh, rather than just big, and you know, you, you build from franchisee profitability, and you layer all of these different types of supports and different rules and and things on top of it that that add all of this value add and best practices and and all of these things to a franchisee, which should increase their operational efficiencies, profitability, and sales, etc which come back in the form of royalties, which feed the entire ecosystem. And uh, that's, that's the basis for the book, and, and from there we just started filling in, the, filling in the voids. Yeah, I love how you use the word mega, too. I'm, I'm glad that you, you brought that up, because it, particularly when you used it with the word um, relationship, Alana, you, you know, describing franchising as a mega relationship, I thought that was very powerful because I, I think that really is a great lesson there. Um, I was mentioning to you know I, I do a lot of research on franchising because I'm in the, the, the dissertation mode right now, and I see a lot of different definitions on franchising. I probably have about 50 I could recite back to you, but not a lot of them emphasize the word relationship, particularly mega relationships. So I, I thought that was very powerful. I think you did a very good job at hitting home um, by the end of the book as far as, you know, that's what franchising is, isn't it? It's, it's a it, mega yeah. relationship. Yeah. Uh, you know. Thank you for the, the, the compliment, and, and, you're, and it's absolutely true. And that's probably one of the most overlooked pieces of the business model mm-hmm. is the relationship side of it. And where most companies get into trouble, or I wouldn't say most, but some companies get in trouble is they they don't uh, understand that side of the business or why franchisees uh, uh, act and, and uh, the way they do and respond right. the way they do. And it's really about coaching a relationship. And I explained it in the mm-hmm. book. It's like uh, being, it's like governing your marriage through a contract because mm-hmm. that's what we do. We have this rela- personal relationship with our owners that we try to maintain positively, but yet there's this agreement wrapped around it that says, you know, if you're if you're you're late on your royalties, there's a thirty-five dollar fee, or there, mm-hmm. you know, there's this, there's that, and all all of these rules that we have in place, 
And, you know, if you think about a marriage, I mean, if, if, much like I put in the book, could you, could you imagine a mandatory five-year remodel clause for your house? You know, that, you know or, or a $35 yeah. uh, TV interruption fee and, and so forth. And it's, it, it would be, it's exactly the same. And so how do you balance that? How do you manage that relationship and not govern too hard on the system and be, you know, designated as a, as a, as a bully or not caring? Or if you get too lax and you don't have strong compliance programs in place, then, uh, you know, the system runs amok and you, you run into trouble and you may or may not recover from it. So it's, it's a very delicate balance. Absolutely. You some great examples, you know, that we've even referenced on the show, too, Lonnie. Uh, you were mentioning in the book about the uh, program uh, that's done by Service Brand International. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was a fantastic program. You know, you wonder sometimes why more um, franchise companies aren't, you know, doing programs like that, you know. Um, did you have any thoughts on that? or? Uh, yes and no. Uh, mm-hmm. I would recommend more companies do that. I think... Uh, Again, you know, the recession has, has forged, in some cases, companies to think entirely out of the box, which is where right. we should be thinking anyway. And if you really have a strong unit, uh, unit economics, and have and you put the right owners in place and all these things, that um, it only makes sense to financially participate with that, with that franchisee to make them successful because the long-term goal is is the royalty stream and mm-hmm. and that's the that's that's where franchisor makes their money at the end of the day um, the fees should cover their their uh, you know their investment into that owner to get them up open until their royalties start reaching royalty break even and covering their monthly support costs and then they start making money on the royalty from there but um, I'm, I'm amazed that there aren't more brands that do that, and that's that's a testament to Service Brands International on on how how they how confident they are in their business models, not business model. And this is one brand, by the way. This is three or four brands. Right, right. And they have that confidence level in all of them, and it's amazing what they've done. And for that, they're they're a best of class uh, brand and a, a mega brand. Yeah, I like you know when you wrote the book. I mean, there's a lot of things I, I you can say that I enjoyed about the book one of the things most was the teasers that you put in the beginning of the book i said if i ever wrote a book i would use a similar style you know you, you kind of you talk about a scenario and they say i'm going to tell you what happened at the end of the chapter i think that's what I, one of the reasons why i probably couldn't put the book down is i said okay what's going to happen you know it was uh-huh. amazing how you were able to do that with franchising you know uh but i just i thought that was fantastic who who do you think should be reading this book then Lonnie? i mean who's the book we say targeted towards you know this this book is targeted towards obvious anyone in franchising. It's just That's what a, I was thinking. Yeah. Book. Right. But right. One of the ways that this book would be uh, used in an incredible way is is alignment and training of staff. There's yeah. so many people you talk to that are at administrative level or or that are supporting franchisees that really don't understand what in the world this whole machine is about and. If my recommendation, and I'm putting some training programs together around this, is to have everyone on your staff, if nothing else, use this as an orientation 101 mm-hmm. book for for people that are new to franchising, so that they kind of understand what these 
these, uh, this language we speak and so forth, but really what is this company trying to accomplish and what's the position of the franchisee, how do I fit in, what's my role within that, and uh, that's a great place. Uh, academia, certainly another place yeah. uh, for students that are wanting to study franchising and get into it, entrepreneur uh, classes and that type, as well as any company that's thinking about franchising or, or really wants to to. If you if you read the book like you have, you, you, there's many principles in there that can be mm-hmm. actually applied to any small business. Oh, absolutely! I, yeah. I, I would totally agree with you. Yeah, and I, you know, as I was reading it too, Lonnie, I was thinking as, as you were mentioning, it's kind of like creating a culture within the franchise, isn't it? I mean, that's yeah, one absolutely. of the things that I got out of it is is which is is I guess you know not always so easy to do. You know, of course, it comes down to you know strong leadership and things like that, but. Um, uh, I, I think that was certainly one of the lessons there was creating that culture, you know, after reading a book like this, mm-hmm. of having that mindset, which is, is really um, so important for long-term success. And, again, I mean, the examples that you reference in the book, you know, whether it's your Subways or, you know, your 7-Elevens, and, you know, these are companies that, you know, you've dealt with and worked with, and you know all these guys, you know, so, you know, firsthand. Um You've been in franchising such a long time. One of the questions I've been dying to ask is, you know, what changes have you seen in franchising, Lonnie, since you got involved, you know, so 27, 28 years ago to, you know, kind of like where we're at today, positive oh, or negative? Yeah, That's a I deep would, question. <laughs> yeah, it is a deep question, and we could schedule another radio show around that question. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, you know, to, to start with, I think, I would use the word sophistication of franchisors is really the biggest change I've seen, and it's and it's a reflection of the sophistication of the the franchisee as well. And a lot of that has been born through availability of content and information, and you know the internet and all of that type of thing that's driven this. But I would say fundamentally, those brands that recognize that they're in business with their franchise owners versus just franchising a concept to an owner are the ones that that's been the biggest change that I've seen. And that that was uh, probably a lesson some of them learned um, unwillingly and and through, you know, economic turmoil. But uh, the sophistication of the business model the you know obviously the legal side of this and the compliance side of this with the state laws and regulations and all of that that that, that we really don't need uh, any further uh, have 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 created a a complicated business model and and a sophisticated and a complicated business model and and that has fundamentally been the biggest change and that's a lot of changes like I said we could we could do a whole radio show about this but. You know, overall, five pennies is probably the the uh, you know the the aggregate of those changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, a book like this, written uh, 25 years ago when I was at Super 8 Motels, uh, we wouldn't even gotten it. We would. What yeah. does it mean? And and I think that's that's the sum of the of the moving parts as a snapshot today. That's interesting. Uh, we uh, we recently had a, a Memorial Day show, Lonnie, and you know, of course, we spoke about you know veterans and franchising, and you know, veteran entrepreneurs, and you know, you're the two-time chairman of you know, Vet Fran Committee. Did you want to talk a little bit about that? I mean, as far as um, uh, how you feel about veterans getting into franchising, or what's been your experience with that? 
Oh, of course. Uh, well, my experience with that is, first of all, I am a veteran, and I have direct experience with it. Uh, a quick story uh, goes back to my days at Super 8. I was in the, in the U.S. Army. I went back to um, uh, from active duty to the South Dakota National Guard to work on my commission as an officer, and I had, uh, fortunately, a, a buddy of mine that was in ROTC with me was working for Super 8 in the aviation department, and and uh, asked me if I was looking to make some extra money. I said, absolutely. My goal at the time in my life was to get my commission, go back active duty, and mm-hmm. retire as a, as a colonel or hopefully a, even the luck of, of uh, grace of Pat and uh, that, uh, maybe a general. Right. Uh, was, that, was my, that was my life, and, and I was very good at it. And I, I went to work for Super 8. I started. I grew up through the ranks and, and, and got to know people, and one day we – we uh, came back from some trip, and uh, uh, Ron Rivett, the, one of the founders of the of the chain, was walking away from me, and, and it pushed the Learjet into the hangar. And I yelled at Ron. I had a camera in my hand, and and uh, for some reason, and uh, took a picture of him as he turned around. And it was that moment in my life that I realized this was a guy that built successful insurance practice and was a bank a recovering banker but now owned the largest economy chain in the world, lodging chain, at the time. And I thought, wow. And it was an instant epiphany where I said, I'm going to build a franchise brand. It wasn't start a business. It was build a franchise brand. Right. I had that picture hanging in my wall. And that was, that was the day I decided to chase down that, that fork in the road. And I never did go back active duty in the military. I got out after eight years, and I stayed in franchising ever since. I left Super 8 a few years later, started my own brand called Computer Doctor, and right. I've been at it ever since. But veterans overall um, I has been a phenomenal success with VetFran, absolutely phenomenal. Continues to escalate, The success continues to escalate even as we speak here, and, and it's, because they are such a good fit for franchising. It's, and franchising's a great fit for them. They come out of a place that they, uh, they know what they're going to do when they get up. They know what they're going to wear. They know what the day comprises of. Franchising provides them, albeit maybe not quite that detail, but darn near mm-hmm. that type of life. And so they, they easily gravitate into that. And, and they're good followers and good leaders which make them great team builders. And, you know, they, they really thrive in franchising and, and, and it's in and the success of that. So, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to get involved with that program and, and uh, have been a part of getting it to where it's at. And, and um, you know, I encourage companies, if they're listening to this call, that if they're not involved with that friend or member of the IFA, they need to be. And they need to get involved with it. Yeah, they're missing the boat. I, I totally agree with you. When we had Sean Folk, um, as a veteran, he recently got into the franchise. I think he's up to like he owns like ten franchises now, Lonnie. But it's a great story. But he, you know, he classified or he defined the military as a system, you know, mm-hmm. and of course franchising being as a system. So you know, I mean, after you know listening to him as well, you know, it does. It sounds like a great match, you know, and you wonder why, you know, not all franchise, well, I guess they all can't be involved in it, but, you know, um, not even more are involved in VetFran. You mentioned another one in the book that I thought was interesting as well. Um, was it the, uh, I think it's PAFI. I can't remember uh-huh. if that's the acronym for it, but I thought that was interesting as well. Was it professional athletes, 
franchise initiative, I think it was. That's and, correct. Um, we've had, yeah, we've had them on the show, too, and I, I thought, you know, I never thought about that either, you know, as I said, okay, you know, when, when these gentlemen came on the show, I think one of the um, guys was Tayoka Jackson, uh-huh. uh, talking about how, you know, when you play sports, you know, you, you have to follow rules, don't you? You know, that's kind of like franchising as well, isn't it, you know? It um, is. One of the most interesting aspects of the professional athletes, uh, world is you know i and i've learned a great deal about this they they're very much like veterans or team builders or yeah. team players right and they work well within a system but the the interesting dynamic with these guys is are that they are typically financially secure mm. and so True. there's really no need to talk about that they right. they're more focused on operations they want to know how are they how can they be supported and trained to become a business owner? That's where they they they, they want to focus on. So uh, that was something I learned here last year uh, uh, at a breakout session at the IFA, and I was really uh, well received. It was a full room, and and uh, I love the program. Uh, Island Time Treasures is our franchise brand, and we mm-hmm. are certainly working. Uh, with uh, the PAFI and uh, and uh, hope to help grow that program as well. Yeah, that was an interesting um, franchise too, Island Time Treasures. You know, we were looking that up on the uh, internet several days ago, and I thought that's an interesting concept, and I think it's a great industry, of course, to be in. Did you want to talk a little bit about that concept? Sure, I'd love to. Of course, um, it's a it's a it's a very unique franchise. Mm. It's uh, there's two two models for it. It's a home based or a retail cart right. uh, slash kiosk, and we're we're doing both. We the mobile unit. Well, what we provide are it's hard to explain, and hopefully people can visualize this. But we create a, uh, a much like the Build a Bear workshop, where mm-hmm. a customer can pick out a design of a project. And we uh, make a form in a sandbox, which we have these big sandboxes we take around. And uh, then the customer, the guest actually, uh, decorates it with seashells or sea glass or buttons, and we've got all kinds of different types of things that we use. And then we have a, a proprietary plaster, which we call island mud, that we pour into that, that form and it gets hard and it sets up in about six to eight minutes. It's extremely fast. And um, and then we remove that from the sand, which causes the sand to stick to the outside of it. We clean that off, and we we put some glitter on there, and we and we put a clear coat on it, and it's ready to go to the customer. And and the response to the program has just been uh, overwhelming. Um, we're actually putting uh, retail carts, or what we call it specialty retail, into uh, resorts, high-end resorts down here in Florida. Uh, we're looking to expand into Disney World and Busch Gardens wow. and cruise ships and all those types of things. And the mobile version of that is 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 exactly that. They're able to go to events and festivals and fairs and so forth and provide this program and work it part-time. The retail carts are full-time, but the mobile unit is part-time, uh, typically weekends. It's great for you know, stay-at-home moms or family wants to make extra money or student going through school. Uh, it's it's low cost, low investment, and it's, and it's geared towards. Isn't it geared just towards children? You know, adults of all ages uh, do it, but predominantly the, the kids are 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 where it's at. So. Mm. 
it, yeah, it sounds like it sounds like a great concept, and, and, and it keeps you still. This is a little different too, I guess, from some of the other concepts, of course, that you've worked with um, over <laughs> <Wait>. the last, <laughs> you know, twenty-seven, twenty-eight years is, is what I was thinking about as, as I was reviewing it, you know. But it sounds to me like I mean, you're always going to be, I think, involved in franchising, Lonnie, aren't you? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I think that's a given. I think, uh, you know, I, I I don't see myself slowing down. I'm a relatively young guy yet, so. I could probably, you know, I, I, I've got a lot of unfilled buckets in my bucket list yet, so uh, <laughs> we've got a ways to go. Oh, there you go. What's the best way for our listeners to get more information um, on getting the book and, and all the different services um, that, that the Helgerson Franchise Group provides, Lonnie? Is there any websites they should go to or any numbers they can call? Of course. Uh, to get the book, uh, go to franchisemegabrand.com. Okay, FranchiseMegabrand.com. Okay, yep. fantastic. That'll take you right to the, the book site, which is part of the Elgerson Franchise Group. Uh, so that, that web address will get them to everything we do uh, and uh, as well as they can order the book. And the book's going to be coming out. The book is already on Amazon and paperback. Oh, but, it is. Okay. Yeah, but the, uh, the EPUB, uh, Nook, iTunes, and... Um, and uh, uh, Tindall are coming out in the next wow. few weeks. That's fantastic. And again, it's a privilege to finally have the chance to get to speak to you. I mentioned to you, you know, I've been following you a long time, and I feel like I know you, you know. So one of these days, you know, we're going to get to catch up again at one of the franchise shows, you know, and uh, uh, we're going to be talking. Franchise interviews from Eastern Pennsylvania to Sydney, Australia. You're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews.